0: Listen to something fresh. Listen to Salam Media. Welcome back to The Special Focus. Welcome back to Salam Media. If you were with us last week, you'd recall that we were assessing the political impact of the coronavirus. And today we are doing pretty much the same. So today we are looking at this topic from an economic perspective. What impact does the coronavirus and the lockdown have on you and I as citizens? And if you look at it, the South African Reserve Bank said earlier this month, in fact, that the direct impact of the 21-day lockdown was a 2.6% economic contraction. We also have huge job loss estimations. And as you know, ratings agencies now have us at junk status. And I think that just serves to make... It worse for us. But let's speak to the experts on this. Let's try to get a better understanding on how they see it. And let's now welcome our panel for today. So firstly, we have Professor Imran Valodia. He's the Dean of the Faculty of Commerce, Law and Management at the University of the Witwatersrand. Welcome to the show, sir. Uh,
1: it's good to be on your show. Thank
0: you. And then we have Mr. Duma Tobole, the Director for the Centre for Economic Development and Transformation. Welcome, sir.
1: Thank you for the invite.
0: Yeah. And finally, let me introduce you to Mr. Jacques Jonker. He's an economic analyst at the Free Market Foundation. Welcome to the show.
2: Good morning, Zaid, and good morning to your listeners. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Um, Mr. Jacques Yonkers, let's start with you. The coronavirus has disturbed the global economy. That's undoubtedly. Um, South Africa is currently under lockdown like many parts of the world. Uh, Some estimates saying that the economy could contract by 10% and over 1 million people could join the ranks of the unemployed due to COVID-19. Then some forecasting that 1,600 small businesses could now go insolvent. Ratings agencies have us at junk status. We are in a recession. Where are we heading, Mr. Jacques Yonkers?
2: Uh, well, I don't think there's any sugar coating in the situation and we are definitely heading for a, for a recession here, especially an annual recession. I mean, if you look at the forecast of the Reserve Bank for their GDP growth forecast for 2020 is negative 6.1% and just last month their forecast was only negative 0.2%. So in terms of growth, it's really not looking good and we already are in a recession at the moment as of the fourth quarter of 2019. Reserve Bank though are predicting that the real GDP growth will return to a positive status again after 2020 forecasting two point two percent for twenty twenty one and two point seven percent for twenty twenty two. And this is actually higher than what the previous predictions were. But then we move to the, the real big issue here, which is job losses. I mean if you look at the rate at which the total number of unemployed people has been increasing in South Africa is now hovering at about ten and a half million people according to the unexpanded definition of unemployment. I mean I always include I always take the unexpanded definition exactly because just because somebody has been demotivated from looking for the job, they're still a human being and they still matter in this economy. And if you look at the trend in the growth of the total number of unemployed people in South Africa, we actually had a little bit of a downward trend from about 2010 to the start of 2014, meaning it was still increasing, but at a slower rate. But then this trend started picking up from 2014 all the way to 2020. So we are definitely looking at weak growth, job losses, and then also worsening fiscal situation for the government. In 2019, the deficit was negative 6.3% of our entire GDP. Government debt has shot up from 27.8% in 2008 all the way to 62.2% and is forecasted to run all the way into about 75-77% of GDP over the next couple of years. And this is, this is really worrying. I mean, our debt financing is currently, it ranks fourth where, um, in terms of all the categories of expenditure according to the latest budget. But when you actually break down these subcategories, the our uh, debt financing alone ranks second only to expenditure on on education. So the government is basically borrowing just to fund its previous um, interest payments that are due on, on their debt. So yeah, we're really looking at very weak growth, very weak, um, very strong job losses, very big job losses, as well as a very worsening fiscal situation for the government. So yeah, from our perspective, really not looking good at the moment.
0: Mm. and it's of course it is a bleak picture because the coronavirus seems to have caused havoc across the globe. Um, Professor Volodya, yeah. how much longer can we really afford the lockdown, considering that much damage has already been done? Um, jo- in terms of job losses, businesses, small businesses. So, how much longer can we really afford this lockdown? So look, we. I mean, I mean this.
1: There's two issues that we have to deal with. One is we, we can't ignore the fact that we have a serious uh, kind of issue on the health side, and and that requires that we have to 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 kind of deal with that issue, uh, because if we don't, the kind of economic costs of that would be extremely high as well. Uh, we we then have to deal with the fact that that we were we were in a in, we were in a pretty poor economic position uh, 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 before the virus hit our economy, mm. and the, the, the kind of strategy that we've had to deal with to, to manage the health crisis has, has then generated a much more, um, a much more significant uh, kind of set of uh, um, much more significant set of economic issues, and I think the, the key is to manage those two issues at the same time. What we've kind of argued in a recent piece that I that I wrote with a few others is that uh, the, the 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 policy of the lockdown that we're doing now, while while it was the right thing to do, is not really sustainable in the long term, and that we need to m- manage these two crises at the same time, and to deal with it with 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 uh, uh, with uh, Kind of developing protocols about how we manage the health side while we start to, or, or, or while we start to open up uh, parts of the economy where the health risks are not that high. And I think the so so my short answer to your question is we we kind we 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 can't continue the lockdown in in the form that we're doing now um, for the long term. We're going to have to. to Strategy that 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 deals with the health crisis, uh, uh, but also opens up uh, parts of the economy, um, mm. and we set this out in in the in piece that we
0: wrote that is uh, uh, published in the conversation. Mm. And before we move on, Professor Valodia, that's a very important point you make there. Um, you say we need to find another strategy that is more sustainable in order to balance the. Effects of the coronavirus on the health system and the economy. So, um, is there really any strategy that you perhaps have in mind, which you would like to suggest that we could uh, we could use moving forward? Um, perhaps the DA's suggestion that they've made recently is that a valuable option.
1: Yeah, so, I'm 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 not a supporter of the DA strategy. Just to be clear on that. But we, we, we kind of lay out the strategy uh, in this piece that we wrote in the conversation. The, the, the basic, basic idea would be that um, uh, that you've, 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 you've got to really upscale the, the amount of uh, 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 testing that you do on, on, um, um, on the health side. Um, and have a strategy to kind of isolate people that are that are, uh, that that, uh, that test uh, 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 positive for the virus. So, um, uh, 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 kind of really significant upscaling in the amount of d- 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 testing that we do. The second part of the of that health strategy is to identify. Uh, uh, Kind of groups that are at high risk. So here we'd be thinking about old people. We'd be thinking about uh, 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 people that are, uh, that, that are HIV uh, uh, positive, uh, and and kind of other groups that would have a, that uh, uh, that would be high risk. They that, uh, they have to stay at home, and they have to stay isolated, and we have to protect those communities. Uh, the, the third part of the strategy would be to significantly upscale our expenditure on the health uh, 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 on, um, on the health facilities, um, so that we're able to deal with the crisis that is hitting up. And the fourth thing is to develop a set of protocols for uh, for a gradual and a systematic opening of parts of the economy so let me give you two examples of what that that could mean if you're thinking about a factory that is a highly capital intensive one where you don't have large large um, um, numbers of workers uh, those types of factories would be would be the ones that that, that could be opened up in the first instance. Uh, um if we think about other types of activities, so let's take food production and kind of eating in restaurants, um, I think it wouldn't be sensible uh, from a risk point of view for uh, for for uh, kind of restaurants to operate like they normally do but we can we've got to start thinking about ways in which they could operate in a way that is managing the health risks. So, for example, if they're just managing delivery services uh, rather than their, their full normal services, then then we would allow them to operate uh, to to kind of uh, to some extent. So really, what we we kind of arguing in that piece is that we should use the rest of the lockdown to. To kind of develop a set of protocols around how different parts of the economy could be opened up because i think we would all agree that um the the the, the kind of outlook for the immediate papyrus uh, 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 part of this transition is probably with us until september uh, uh, uh perhaps october as well Um, And if we continue with the full lockdown like we have now, the economic costs of that are going to to continue to to, to kind of spiral, um, and and the the unemployment rates will go up, the the, uh, uh, kind of revenues from from taxes will go down, and the problems that we have are just going to be amplifying all of the time um so so we 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 can't continue the lockdown in the present way that we have it, but we have to find the ways to to manage the health risks which we can't ignore with the economic risks at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, indeed, so I was reading an article, in fact, in which the economist Azar Jameen is quoted as saying that even if you lift the lockdown, the psychology of the country has changed. Um, people will not rush to restaurants because we have become aware of the dangers of infecting each other by being in close proximity. Indeed, so Mr. Dumak Tobole, what do you have to say about the point um, made by Professor Valodia that, in fact, we cannot continue with the lockdown in its present way? Um, we need to, in fact look at a way that will allow us to open up certain sectors of the economy while at the same time managing the spread of the virus?
1: Okay, I would like to stay away from those issues. I just want to make one point is that that. Um, entering into this COVID crisis, um, we have had a decade of mismanagement of economic policy by the government. The number of unemployed people has increased by um million people from December 2008 to December 2009. In that period, we only created 100,000 formal sector jobs a year, as opposed to a labor force that is growing at 550,000 per year. So we've had three recessions in a decade. And since the new administration came under flow, we've had two recessions in two years and we are now heading to a third recession in three years. So I just have to mention that we were already in a recession and in the two years that we've had this new administration, there hasn't been a single plan to get our economy working um, in terms of growing our economy faster. And then the first, second thing I want to say is in terms of the GDP numbers, the Reserve Bank is quite frankly, incompetent in terms of its growth forecast. Um, in January, the 16th forecast 0.4% growth for the year. March the 19th, they forecast minus 2%. Last week, they forecast minus 2 to minus 4%. And um, this week, they're focusing 6%. Now, at the beginning, I assumed a two-month shutdown. And that gives you a forecast of 10% drop in GDP. So that is a number right from the beginning that I've been working on. And quite frankly, that is a calamity. It is the biggest annual decline since 1931. And if and then that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say it's actually irresponsible for the government to be shutting down two thirds of GDP for two for two I mean for two months and then not having a plan to address the economic impact of that. So, um, I've just been out of a yeah. workshop, a Zoom conference now at on the whole issue of the social development situation and the food parcels that have been um, distributed to the communities. Um, and people fighting in Mitchell, Mitchell's claim over the food parcels, the government response for all practical purposes has been non-existent. And I just think that it's about time we talk about a proper response that is in line with what's happening in other countries. Now, in terms of the other countries, there's different aspects of a fiscal stimulus that is required. But basically, you have to look at the predicted economic shock, which I estimated about $600 billion, and that's quite optimistic, by the way. And you have to... Put in place a stimulus or a stabilisation plan to to, um, to 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 put the money into the people of firms and households that is equivalent to the shock that the economy will take. So the first thing that we have to do, I argue, um, as well, is that we need to introduce a basic income grant for six months, and um, that is at the upper bound poverty line of. Um, 1,200, in the article I've explained this, uh, how it works. And that's about 200 billion rand. And then the next thing we have to do is top up on the child support grant. Um, um, people have costed that, at about 40 billion rand for six months. And at the same time, we are um, out of the workshop I was just in now, there's also talk that we should actually increase the child, the old age pension as well. So that's the one side. And then the second side is that we need to look at um, Income replace sorry, the wage subsidies that you see in many countries. So, many countries have been choose wage subsidies. So, if you the government is nationalized the payroll, so they'll support um, people not to retrench people. So, if you're a restaurant and you have been tasked with um, shutting down for three months, government will pay 70% or 60% of your wages to help you through that period. So, that is the third element, and then. Fourthly, we should be talking about um, loans and loan guarantee systems for, um, for loan guarantee systems for um, companies. And in, the, in rich countries and the other countries, what you have is the central bank providing loan facilities to companies to help them through the period. So, I think, in summary, it was irresponsible of governments to shut down the economy and not have a plan as to how they're going to address the economic fallout from that year.
0: Okay, and I do understand that Professor uh, Imran Valodia needs to leave us in a few minutes. Um, I I believe he has a meeting to attend to. So um, I think let let's just pose this last question to him before we release him. Um, Professor Valodia, how do we form a balance between saving livelihoods and saving people's lives? Because as has been said in the build up to the lockdown, we can revive an economy if the correct steps have been uh, are taken after the lockdown, but surely we cannot revive somebody who died off the virus. Um, and I think that's the impact people are worried about. So what do you think about this? How do we strike a balance, Professor Volodya? So, so so, just
1: just to be clear, I don't think, think it's kind of helpful to think about those two issues as trade-offs, because... Uh, um, and if we if we expose people to to the health risks, then then people are going to suffer and people are going to die, and that's the reality that we have to deal with. But if we expose them to the economic risks as well, we're going to have. People who are going to go ex- uh, who who are going to have to undergo extreme hardships and and uh, 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 people are going to die as well. So so for me the the matter is not one where you have to choose the one or the other. Um, um, and I agree with Puma. I think it's it's completely irresponsible for us to have a a complete shutdown of. Parts of the economy without having an economic uh, package that deals with 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 the reality of what that means, and I think we 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 kind of have to do that because it places people under uh, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the most unacceptable dilemma. So let me give you a sense of, of one example of that. If you say to 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 Someone who's earning a livelihood in the informal economy mm-hmm. that you cannot uh, go, 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 go to work um and 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 we're gonna stop you from doing that because of the health crisis, mm-hmm. which I think you have to do and you you can't place the person in a position uh, you can't place the person in a position where you're saying to her. Your, your kind of choice is either that you have to starve, or you have to break the the the, the kind of legal rules of the of um, of the lockdown. It seems to me, as a society, we have a responsibility to uh, to make sure that someone like that uh, gets the income replacement that she needs to feed a household. And I think Dumas made those. Um, I think increasing the child support- I also think we can't we, we we can't we can't continue with with uh, with, with with the strategy as uh, uh, kind of as things are because the economic uh, costs are going to rise all of the time, and we have to think about much more efficient movement, uh, movement, uh, kind of strategies for us to deal with with both of these economic crises at the same time. And for me, the important point is to integrate uh, a, a kind of plan on the health side with a plan on the economic side, and the two have to, ha- uh, the two have to go hand in hand.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for your time, Professor Valodia. Okay. Thank you. All right, let's leave it there for now. Let's take a short and quick ad break. And when we get back, this discussion will continue. We will indeed continue engaging as we still have Mr. Jacques Yonker and Mr. Dumas Obulia with us. Stay tuned. Listen to something fresh. Listen to Salaam Media. Welcome back, if you've just joined us, my name is Ahhi Jared, and this is the special focus I'm here with you until four p m this afternoon. so today we are discussing the financial and economic impact of the coronavirus. My guests this afternoon, just a reminder, are Mr Jacques Yonker, who is in fact a, an economic and legal analyst at the Free Market Foundation, and we have Mr Duma Qubule, who is the Director of the Centre for Economic Development and Transformation so let's now continue from where we left before the ad break. Uh, Mr Juncker, I'm curious to know, what are your thoughts on South Africa approaching the IMF or the World Bank, as has been suggested by Minister Tito Mbaweni? In fact, he said that we should approach the IMF or World Bank for help fighting the coronavirus if we run out of finance for health interventions. Um, And the ANC, in fact, has said that this shouldn't happen. So what are your thoughts on this, Mr. Yonker?
2: Okay, so I think it would shock people to know that as a advocate as of free markets, I uh, actually oppose Minister Dikgang Molewa in plan to turn to the IMF route. I mean, the IMF is effectively an institution that functions on trapping developing economies and emerging markets in debt traps. I mean, if you if I might cite some research about Oscar Sanjayan all the countries that have been bailed out by the IMF in the past 11 have gone on to rely on their aid for 30 years. 32 countries have been borrowers for between 20 and 29 years and 41 were using IMF credit in 10 and 19 years. So this is effectively a debt trap. I mean, if the issue now within government is the issue of our debt, then it simply makes no sense to incur more debt from an institution that will most likely trap us in that debt. And what a lot of people aren't aware of is that we are already uh, paying interest to in the IMF on what are called special drawing rights, which is basically a mechanism set up by the IMF, um, in simple terms, to to gay, um, to be able to buy foreign freely usable foreign currency. And long story short, we are already paying interest on that because. The amount of SDRs that we hold is less than the amount that the IMF allocated to us. So you you pay interest, you you receive interest on the amount of SDRs that you hold and you pay the same amount of interest or the same interest rate on the amount of SDRs allocated to you. When your holdings are obviously lower than that allocated to you, you are paying interest to the IMF. So it makes no sense to incur more debt from them when we are already funding them. And what people need to remember is all debt. And this is private debt, obviously, but also government debt. It is it is eventually paid by private people. That is the issue. So now I do not agree with Minister Mbuweni that we should turn to the IMF. I think it would be extremely unwise. And with respect to funding out there, I think it's really important for the ANC government to revise their budget. They should definitely focus on curbing not just unnecessary expenditure but inefficient expenditure. I mean, government expenditure is simply inefficient. We are not. They're not seeing returns on our tax money So in order to fund all the health interventions needed, government will definitely have to start diverting funds from other departments as well as curbing unnecessary and inefficient expenditure. And I just want to link to what Professor Volodia said is people should forego this false dichotomy of either the economy or either people. People are the economy. Your economy is people. People going out, generating a livelihood for themselves. Is the economy and government is basically shooting itself in the foot by shutting down the economy because government itself in terms of tax revenues etc rely on people to go out and engage in productive economic activity. So I think um, just to link to what you said and to what um, Mr. Gumbu really said is that the shutdown was not was was not thought through. It is it is a really bad plan to continue with the shutdown. It is not a long term plan. The government really needs to start looking at lifting the lockdown because starvation is simply not an option and not an alternative to contracting the virus and we should definitely not approach financial institutions such as the IMF or the World Bank because we will definitely be trapped in debt for years to come.
0: Mm-hmm. And in terms of lead- leadership uh, Mr Kabulia, how well has President Ramaphosa handled all of this?
1: I think everybody agrees that the leadership and on the public health measures has been good overall although we can argue with um, what has been done and we can also argue about the regulations as um, the previous speakers have been doing like jacques and professor valodia um, but on the economy it's been completely lacking and there has been no leadership on the economy quite frankly and i think he has to up his game as a president um, uh, in terms of uh, in terms of addressing the economic fallout from from the situation yeah
0: Mm-hmm. And if we wanted to be positive, um, what opportunities has this current situation afforded President ramaphosa and his government in terms of their economic agenda? Mr. Tumulia?
1: Yes. Now, um, I think what, what the positive is that we have to sort out our health, public health system. Our pu- public health system is a disaster. I mean, I i had a car accident about two years ago and i decided to go to a public facility in my in johannesburg and it's just it's a nightmare and um I, so we can't come out of this crisis and not uh, invest in a proper public health system for the for the majority of south africans and the second thing that we have to do is that we have to address the whole issue of um social security because these crisis of global capitalism relating to public health relating to finance and um, relating to climate, they're no longer black swan events, they're happening very frequently. So we have to find a proper social security system that um, that addresses and that protects people during such situations. And then finally, um for the past ten years we haven't had a growth plan for the economy and um, we've just um, destroyed <laughs> we have destroyed the economy relentlessly for ten years. And um, I think that after the recovery phase, if maybe it happens next year, or well now we can start talking about what can we do to develop a post-corona economy. And the post-corona economy has to look different from the economy that we have now. It has to have, uh, at the minimum, I, and I'm not even talking education, but out of this crisis, we have to sort out issues
0: of health and social security. Mm-hmm. The discussion about the post-Corona economy—that's a really interesting one—and I think we'll use that question at the towards the end of this discussion. But for now, um, let's just focus on these measures that have been put in place in order to cushion the effect of the lockdown. I mean, so far, the Reserve Bank has responded by slashing interest rates by 100 basis points and injecting liquidity into the economy. Treasury has also implemented tax relief measures. The Solidarity Fund has been set up by government. And these are just some of those um, measures w- which have been put in place in order to cushion the effect of the lockdown. So are you confident in these measures? Mr. Yonker, you can answer that for now, and then um, I'll give you a chance to respond to that, Mr. Klobola. Mr. Yonker? Yes, yeah, sorry, sorry, my signal my is signal
2: not... Up to us today, it seems. Um, So I think the Reserve Bank needs to be very, very careful with what it's doing here, um, especially combining quantitative easing measures such like as monetizing government debt and lowering interest rates. I mean, we as an economy we are net borrowers, not net savers, so we do not have the luxury of actually dragging the repo rate too low. Um, because we can actually build up a lot of pressure on money velocity in the economy and compose future risk for inflation, and then the Reserve Bank might actually respond to less. I mean, as Mr. Willet pointed out earlier, um, their their forecasting models they vary a lot and they change month to month. So, if we consider the fact that their forecasting is not always up to scratch, I mean, what risk does this pose for future risk of inflation, and just whether whether they will whether they will perceive these risks in time to respond to them. And if we look at um, what, for instance, households, we already have a negative savings position in households in South Africa, according to the Reserve Bank's own data, a negative position of 7.9 billion rand. So the problem is we do not have savings at this moment. So we have to remember that inflation disproportionately impacts on savers and it actually um, benefits those who are in debt. Uh, um, as well as government at the moment, so I think we need to also consider the fact that monetary policy, on average, takes it at time. Like it takes about 18 to 24 months to have the full impact. So they need to be very, very careful with how they approach the situation. I mean, deflation. Empirical studies have shown it does not pose as big a risk for output as once thought, and the Reserve Bank should be very careful to not make it easier for government just to incur more debt. I agree with Mr. Gubule that the budget needs to, be, needs to be revised. I mean, if you think about the way government is borrowing and investing money, it is not investing the money in people, it is not investing it in a way that generates positive job reach growth at the moment. Um, so basically, with respect to the economic response, um, we, can, we can argue for days on end about whether the Reserve Bank should have dropped the repo rate as they did. But at the moment, I do think that they need to hold off a bit on the quantitative easing measures that they have in mind. That's just my opinion on that.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: for the reprint, I also do not think they should lower it any lower than
0: 4%. Okay. Let me just give you a chance to weigh in on that, Mr. Kumbule. just quickly before we wrap up.
1: Um, oh, which part? I'm not sure. Um, I agree with most a lot of what you said, what Jack is saying. But I just think that... Um, we have to really up the game in terms of the country, in terms of helping people during the current crisis. So what I look at it, this I talk, we have an emergency, I look at it like an earthquake. So you have an earthquake, so you have emergency measures to get health resources to the people and who were hurt during the earthquake. And then the second thing is stabilise Families of the people who are hurt by the earthquake. So in the South African context, you have to create cushions like food parcels, and um, income support for the people who have been affected by this earthquake. And then in the recovery phase, start looking about what you're going to do for the economy going forward. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. OK, and then the question would then go to how do we resuscitate the economy once the pandemic is put to rest and how we go on with life. And that brings us to the question of how will, what will change, in fact, in the global and local economic system in the post-corona era, um, Mr. Kulbola?
1: Well, you know, it's very difficult to talk about a post-corona because, you know, initially economists talked about a sudden stop um, for three months, one quarter, and then a sudden start. Now, people are realizing, no, that's not how it's going to work, because you have, um, so people are now talking about intermittent social distancing and intermittent lockdown. So, you you relax the the, the the social distancing measures, and then new cases or clusters are there, and then you have to tighten it, or you have to, as Mr. Professor Roddy yeah, has said, you might have to follow it which way it's happening, if you have the intelligence of proper testing so if it's in cape town you have to shut down cape town then you move on the country and so forth so it's not something that will be with us just for three months so that is the difficulty of planning for the post-corona environment and i was listening to the 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 whole issue of the imf's presentation yesterday and they were saying that every single forecast that they make and it's the most uncertain forecast that they've ever made because they just don't under economists don't understand enough about the situation on the public health and whether we have to wait for a vaccine because before this thing is completely over. So it's a very difficult situation that we're in. Um yes, really, really difficult
0: here. Mm. Okay, so now let's wrap up. Your parting shots on this uh, Mr. Yunker, just about thirty seconds and then Mr. Tobule, you also can weigh in on your parting shots.
2: So I just wanna quickly start spanning the workshop with the with the legal perspective on this is that a lot of the government regulations at the moment are arbitrary, they're vague, they indirectly discriminate against poor people who are disproportionately people of colour. And a, there are questions regarding the constitutionality of the current lockdown measures in place. So I think government really needs to review the lockdown measures in place. I think they need to review their, their fiscal policies. They need to um, consolidate the fiscal position because you're hanging on fiscal cliff and that will nearly worsen the, the post-corona economy, if I can put it like that. And I also want to urge people to to, to forego this dichotomy that it's either economy or life. They are the same thing. They are exactly the same thing. And I think we need to go back to basics when it comes to economics. You know, too much government debt is a problem. Too much deficit spending is a problem, especially when there's not returns on that. I think the government really needs to start making it easier for people on the ground to live their lives, lower tax rates, et cetera, um, in order to not only boost spending but do supply um, you cannot spend if you do not supply in the first place. So mm-hmm. I really think government should review its policies here and implement more pro-freedom, pro-individual policies going forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and I've been itching to ask one ke- question, Masut Um In fact, you were supposed to wrap up on this, so I think you should wrap up on this question because this discussion has actually been drifting in another dynamic and there's lots of perspectives to this discussion. So just quickly, your parting shots, you could wrap up on this who will suffer the, the most from this um, impact of the coronavirus?
1: I think the, the, the most vulnerable people in society, the unemployed, the informal traders, the people that you saw in Mitch's plane yesterday, um, the people that you saw in Port Elizabeth on TV. Um, unfortunately, the, the, the people, um, the, the middle class, um, the employed people who can work at home, they won't suffer that much, but the people who've been retrained, and it, it's an unacceptable price that they have to pay. Although I agree that they, it's a false dichotomy between people and life, but the price that the poor will have to pay for this crisis is unacceptable.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much for your time, Mr. Jacques Yonker, who is an economic and legal analyst at the Free Market Foundation, and Mr. Dumas Tubulia, who is, in fact, um, the director of the Center for Economic Development and Transformation. Thank you both for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Yeah, so the economic situation that we find ourselves in, I can tell you it's going to be tough. And as Mr. Duma Kubule just said, unfortunately, the poor are the most vulnerable to this virus and the impact of this virus. So yeah, we must pray and we must hope for the best always. So that's it for today's show. That's how we come to the end of yet another intriguing discussion Thanks to technical producers Kanyusu Ziyad Milazi and Shazia Zubair. And of course, thanks to you for tuning in this afternoon. From myself, Zahid Jadwit. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.